Right now we're going to get prayed up. So uh, I'm Ted, the minister, and I'll now pray in such a way that makes you feel guilty for your lousy prayer life. So if you would bow your head and pretend to pray with me, let's do that now. Heavenly Father, if we're honest, we have some real belief in the idea that if you're real and we would talk to you, that that would make our life better. But if you paid attention to our time management schedules, this is a kind of a rarity that we're checking in. So I know that none of us need to introduce ourselves by name because, you know, you were there. But Lord, it is an amazing concept that we don't have to come to you groveling like you are the creator of the universe. We get to just talk to you like a heavenly parent, one who loves us and roots for us and wants nothing but the best for us. It's a concept most of us can't grasp if you look at our time logs. But Lord, we trust that it's true. Would you give us the courage to believe in you, that you are who you say you are, and that you are not only in this place, but you are about to speak to us in a way that will amaze us, maybe for the first time. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Everybody said, amen. All right. So uh, let's start right here. I'm the youngest of six. My dad was born in 1919. My mom was born in 1925, although she always claimed 1926. And I don't know. It seems like we could let it go now, but... They've both been gone for years. They were just great. The only nice New Yorkers in the world, and I got to have them. So I have zero complaints about my parents. They were, uh, we spent a lot of time in my house talking about World War II. My dad was Jewish, and my mom was British. And so I read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich in, uh, in third grade for the first time. Every year, my dad would pay me to read it, and we'd talk about it, because he didn't want ever to have Hitler happen again. So, uh, so that's where my background is. And so when I see a quote from someone connected to World War II, I pay attention. This is General George Marshall. He was a big deal government official during World War II. And he said, the formula for handling people, listen to the other person's story. Listen to the other person's story fully. Listen to the other person's full story first. So this guy was in charge of a lot of people. My uh, friend, the general, some of you have met him. At his peak, he had 119,000 employees. That's a lot. Those guys, these guys, general's not dead yet. This guy's dead. My friend isn't. Um, just got back from Hawaii. So uh, there's benefits. But they have to figure out how to deal with people. And so General George Marshall said, the thing is, we come to conversations, interactions with people with assumptions that are so wildly off. And you know this in your own house, at work, out in public. Somebody cuts you off in traffic. The assumption is this is a terrible person and this is why hell was created. They were just on their phone or didn't even see you. They didn't mean to do it on purpose. They were just, you know, you change lanes accidentally sometimes and you signal afterwards. That's, that's what happened. He said in order to overcome that, you got to get in lockstep with them to start with. So listen to them, listen to all they have to say, and listen to them first. Think of the squabbles in your life that would be avoided, in the world that would be avoided if we would do this. Now, what's the problem with this dumb advice? It's exhausting. It takes a long time. Is it effective? Sure. Yeah, if you want to put the effort into it, it'd probably work. But I got, I got better things to do. The Yankees are on. I can't be listening to this long story. My, uh, she's not in here, right? We have an eight-year-old. We bought an eight-year-old at our house. Well, she came brand new, but now she's eight. Last night, she decided she wasn't tired. Well, the rest of us are. 
So how about you put that head down on that bed? I just stay there. So my wife tried her best techniques. It's our third one. It's not our first, that's not our first time to be invited to the dance. We know how to do this. My wife tried everything. She came in, like, well, over to you, funny boy. So I go in. I always can get the kids to go to sleep. Nope. And then the windstorm kicked up. All right. Now there's three in our bed. One of us was bitter. And he stands before you right now. I had reason to be better, and I do not apologize for that. If you want to put the effort in, sure. I said to the eight-year-old, what are you thinking about? She said, I don't know, just not sleepy. Well, that's not an option. Even the bourbon didn't work. No, no, we didn't. We didn't. <laughs> in hindsight, I'm tempted, but we didn't, we didn't do that. The problem with being with other people, the best part of life is other people. The worst part of life is other people. Cancer is second, but other people are definitely the worst part of life. They're also the, the best part of life. So, yes, this is the way we need to handle each other. Usually we bump into enough little arguments that then we finally sit down and, and everybody says their part, and then we can finally move forward. Let's go to the Bible. 2,000 years ago, Dr. Luke was minding his own business in the Roman Empire, and he heard this guy, Paul, talking about this guy, Jesus. Paul was a good speaker. Luke had nothing else to do. The way we got to this church 20 years ago, we were living north of Chicago. We were already at a church. The hot chick, she was up here somewhere. I think she was there. I don't want to get the wrong one. I know which one she is, but vaguely pointing to a place on stage when nobody's up here, you might get the wrong impression. So we were both on staff. There's 18 people on staff. We were two of them, and the phone rang, and it was somebody from here wanted to ask if we wanted to come down and be the minister here. And the conversation 45 minutes later was still going. I was late for a meeting. Chicago is nothing but meetings. It was no big deal. There's something about some people that just makes you want to listen. So Paul was talking, and Luke listened, and he kept listening. And eventually Luke came to the point where he believed this Jesus thing was real. The Son of God showed up in sandals, showed us how to live, and will come back someday. And while he's gone, the Spirit of God is here, and there's one, not this multiple God little G thing. Huh. So Luke thought, if I'm going to believe this, I need to write this down. So we went back and interviewed the eyewitnesses, Mother Mary. That's why there's the baby stories in the book of Luke. He wrote down the, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. So we're reading from Acts today, and the problem Luke had with Paul is he wanted to get the next part of the story. So he went back to the beginning, got to where he was. The book of Acts, the first half is they, the second half is we. And so now he's taking notes. Now what just happened was Paul said, I feel the Holy Spirit is telling me to go to Rome, and the Holy Spirit says it's not going to be easy, but that I'm supposed to go to Rome, and that's going to help change the world in a good way. And everybody said, but the Holy Spirit said it's not going to be easy, so we don't think you should go. Luke was on team don't go. That's going to be difficult. You were called to take on the world. I'm just called to take on notes, so let's skip it. And all kinds of crazy stuff happens, and sure enough, Paul gets arrested, and, and he appeals to Caesar as a Roman citizen, and now he's going to Rome so he can talk to Caesar. I don't know, you don't just pick up the phone and say, I need to call, I need to talk to Joe having some trouble. Can I talk to Joe? It doesn't work that way. But as a Roman citizen, he could appeal to Caesar. It took a while. I don't think he ever got to Caesar. I think uh, 
He died first. But, you know, you get in line and see what happens. So we have this story from Luke who was there. And the wrestling with the story is this was really difficult. Should we have gone? That's how parenting works, how marriage works, how work works. If you're going to accomplish something, is David here yet? No, he's in the other room. There's David, inventor boy over there. He's won two awards from NASA back when they were real, right? Now, now there's all kinds of people blasting stuff into space, and I don't know why we fund NASA anymore, but back when it was a real place. In order, if you're going to invent something that gets awarded by NASA, there's some bumps. Did you ever blow anything up in your garage, David? Yeah, he did. So, and he's married to a New Yorker, so you know that one well. But in order to accomplish something worthwhile, Steve Jobs said, in order to put a dent in the universe, it's going to be challenging. Does it mean it's not worthwhile? Well, it depends. Some of you would say camping is worthwhile. I would say clearly not. But for each of us, in order for this life to work, we're going to have to take on some challenges, some challenges. And so here we go. When the time came to head to Rome, you don't just get on an airplane. Can't just take a train. It's a ship. So the sideways U of the Mediterranean, they're way over here, and they're going over to the boot, and the sailors know how to go, except they're going in a time of year that's a little dicey. We... When the time came, we, so Luke is going as a traveling companion or the ship's doctor? Well, we don't know, but he got to go. We set sail, we set sail, we set sail. <laughs> There's not many T's in there as I thought there were. We set sail for Italy from Jerusalem to Italy. Paul and several other prisoners were placed in the custody of a Roman officer named Julius, a captain of the Imperial Regiment. This is real. Now, we're going to skip a lot of details. Julius was kind to Paul, and Paul was helpful we encountered strong headwinds that made it difficult to keep the ship on course. We had several days of slow sailing. The wind was against us. We struggled along the coast with great difficulty. We had lost a lot of time. Does this sum up a good chunk of your life? You're trying to do something. You've got a plan. You know it's going to work. You've got people around you. You're ready to go. And this is taking forever. Here at the church, we're in year 20 of the five-year plan. It's kind of how it goes, isn't it? I mean, what else was I going to do? This is great. We're still going. Fast forward a bit. The terrible storm raged for many days, blotting out the sun. We're in Tucson. A little break from the sun. We're all for that. The next part is what's scary. And the what? And the stars. Here's the thing. Most of us don't rely on a sextant to get around. We just say, Siri, I get lost a lot. Going to the grocery store, I know I can see it from here, but give me driving directions to make sure I get there. In the olden days, not that long ago, you had to rely on the stars because you're in the middle of the ocean. My, my Hacha grew up, part of her life was in Florida, and they would take these boat trips out under the stars where they could see all the stars. We can see a lot of stars here, but apparently hours off the coast of Florida, down in the Keys, you can see all the stars. The only way you get around when you're way out in the middle of nowhere is you need the stars to navigate by. They went away until at last all hope was gone. The sailors knew a different shoreline, but they got blown off that shoreline. The shoreline they knew had names like Syracuse and Phoenix. Now they're in the middle of nowhere, and they don't know where they are, 
And so now, what do you do when you've got a plan, you're walking towards the plan, and you get blown off course? Panic. Amen? Can we, can we get that one lined up? Pick any old person you admire. For many of you, I would qualify. I used to be younger than this, and I have several old guy friends, many of whom are dead now, because, you know, once you hit 100, it's dicey. But I love to talk to the old guy friends, or remember the old guy friends, and hear the story. Because I know where you started out, I've heard the story, and I see where you are now, and I think of it as just a straight line up. And that's not the case. Well, first this happened, and then we had to go to there, and then that whole, that whole situation, then we overcame that by doing this. It is a zigzag, zigzag line. So did they end up someplace great that I admire? Yeah. How did they get there? Craziness. That's where we are. That happens to us, and we feel like, well, we failed. We're off track. Marriage is challenging. The job is challenging. School is challenging. Parenting is challenging. Having parents is challenging. Having friends is challenging. We're like, we're out. We're just going to hit all the Netflix shows. And this one is meant to punt us back into life. Yeah, it's difficult. They knew the old shoreline. They don't know this. And now there's new rocks to crash on. And now, what do you do when you panic? You've got ideas. I love this idea. So on the boat, there's a couple of owners, or at least owner representatives, because it's a cargo ship taking grain or whatever it is over to, over to Rome. That's where people need to eat. It's been grown over here. Let's get it shipped. That's where you make the money. You don't make the money growing the wheat. You make the money selling the wheat. So there's an owner of the cargo. There's an owner of the ship. There's, uh, there's the sailors who get it there. And then since they're going to Rome, they've got a few prisoners and the soldiers to guard them to get them there. All right. A lot of different people on this ship. Ideas start flying. The soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners to make sure they didn't swim ashore and escape. Can I get an amen? Your job is to make sure the, the prisoners don't escape. Whether it's a traffic violation or you're going to be a gladiator for sports facing a lion, my job is to make sure you get there and you don't escape. There's been a shipwreck now. Uh, there's a whole story. You can go read it. The owners of the boat were like, no, no, don't run it aground. They're like, well, we're going to all just die. It's like, well, let's take that chance. No, we're going to run it aground and crash your ship. Well, what about the wheat? We got to get the wheat there. The wheat's gone. At one point, they just throw it all overboard. The owner's in the corner crying. When we drive to Austin, Texas to see, the, see Grandma, we don't stop in El Paso and jettison all the gifts, right? It's what's the point of going? Grandma doesn't want to see me, I guarantee you that. Although, she's getting better. If we were to drive to El Paso and my wife would get out of the car and me and the kids were to continue, Grandma wouldn't even open the door. That's what the cargo is. You're supposed to do a cargo ship. You've thrown all the cargo overboard. And then the soldiers, one job is to get the, get the, the prisoners there, but now they're all going to escape. And they're like, you know what? I can explain that we had to kill them because of the shipwreck. If I just say, yeah, I don't know where they are. That's not going to go well for me. Verse 43. But the commanding officer, remember Julius, wanted to spare Paul because Paul had been helpful, so he didn't let them carry out their plan. No, 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 you can't kill them. That's what pediatricians say to parents a lot, right? No, no, no. Then he ordered all who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land. My extensive boating experience was to go from uh, the tip of Manhattan out to Stanton Island when I was a kid to see my dad's relatives, and I w you could see it, right? There's a Statue of Liberty. You you've seen movies. 
And my little nine and ten year old self, I was worried that we were gonna we were we were gonna die because it's New York in the seventies, really is the reason. But all these cars are driving on this flat ferry. And my brother and I once tried to build a boat. We took an old door. We hammered uh, upside down. We hammered coffee cans on it because that would trap the air, you understand. And then as <laughs> so we put it in the water, now New York water in the 70s, I mean, the thing could have just floated on its own, but uh, we put it in the water and immediately started to sink. And being a dumb 10-year-old, I start to get on the thing. And my own brother had to, if your brother's saving your life, you know you've done something stupid. So my brother's like, no, no, it's gone, and boop, it was gone. So this is my understanding of flotation. So now we're going to drive the car onto this ferry like a week later. It's like, Dad, I don't think this is a good idea. How about we just swim over? And my dad said, oh, no, you don't understand. The, the, here's good parenting. This boat has little wheels that go along the bottom because I understood cars. <laughs> you know, I'm going to just tell I'm going to say it out loud. That's not, that wasn't true. Lied to, lied to by my own father. But it got us to stay at Island and back. All who could swim, jump overboard first and make for land. All who could. It's a storm. And now you're jumping into the Mediterranean? This isn't good. The others held on to the planks or debris from the broken ship. You've seen Titanic. So everyone escaped safely to shore. Those who were paying to get the wheat delivered weren't happy, but then most of them weren't on the ship. Once we were safe on shore, we learned that we were on the island of Malta. Where they landed is now called St. Paul's Bay. You can look it up. I know that because I did. Beautiful. St. Paul's Bay. What to do in St. Paul's Bay? Well, look, because it's pretty. That's what you will find if you look up St. Paul's Bay, you'll find a tourist with a, whatever the drink is, a mojita, looking at how beautiful this is. The day Paul arrived, it was not beautiful. It was not calm seas. It was not turquoise waters. It was a storm. And the ship is at below. You know, those, you know, fun folks that uh, went down to see the Titanic. It was a one-way trip. Well, that's what happened to Paul's ship. It's down there. If you want something, if you want to achieve something that people remember, it's going to take some work. If you want something named after you, you have to put in the sacrifice. You have to trade comfort right now for something worthwhile in the future. I know, it's a bummer. All right, verse, uh, this is now Luke chapter 28. The people of the island were very kind to us. <laughs> They're probably used to shipwreck. On Nantucket Island, there's a boat whaling museum. And if you go in there, there's a little section that talks about the rescuers. And there was a whole bunch of people. There were so many shipwrecks off Nantucket in certain times of year. There were whole people. Their whole job was to stand on the shore and watch. And when the ships go down, they would help the people. That was, that, that was it. They were volunteers. That was their job. As, as Jesus followers, we're supposed to do that, right? As people are struggling, we're supposed to help them. Well, that's what the island of Malta, they were used to people showing up this time of year, a little bit soggy, and they were nice. It was cold and rainy, so they built a fire on the shore to welcome us. They weren't so nice that they invited them to their home, I noticed. But, hey, this is a good start. Verse 3, as Paul gathered an armful of sticks. Listen to this, O Tucsonans. As Paul gathered an armful of sticks and was laying them on the fire, a poisonous snake driven out by the heat bit him on the hand. We got back from San Diego Wednesday, went out for my bike ride Wednesday night. It was a rattlesnake, a bunch of mice, and a coyote. It's good to be home good to be home. 
the people of the island saw it hanging from Paul's hand and said to each other, a murderer, no doubt, karma. Though we escape the sea, justice will not permit him to live. One of those. So they just watched Paul with a, with a poisonous snake hanging from the hand. Now, oh, in their defense, what are you going to do, run over? Paul seems to have it. Look for a king snake really quick. I mean, what are you going to do? You got nothing. So they just watched. But Paul shook off the snake into the fire and was unharmed. Now, several things. Paul didn't let it bother him. I am fascinated by Paul's response. Where's the screaming? Where's the change of pants? Right? He didn't, Paul didn't scream, God, why? I can't take this anymore. I am being faithful. I've done everything you've asked me to do. They were mean to me in Jerusalem. Got shipwrecked. My friends don't even want to make this trip. Paul didn't do any of that. I would have. Paul just shook the snake into the fire. I ride around snakes on my bike. First, I video them for my wife so that I get credit for being brave. Try to zoom in so it looks like I'm closer than I am. And Paul, here's the other thing. Paul didn't look at those sitting by the fire and say, you lazy bums, if you'd been collecting wood, I wouldn't have had to do this. Could have been you. Paul didn't do any of that. Paul's reaction seems pretty nonchalant. Jesus said at one point, on occasion in the news, like every 10 years, there'll be some minister in West Virginia who dies from a snake bite. You know those stories? It's because Jesus said, I'm going to go away and the Holy Spirit will be here and those in my name will be able to handle poisonous snakes and not die. So on occasion, somebody takes him up on that. Jesus was talking about this. He wasn't talking about, you know, I don't know, how many years ago, eight years ago, there's a little snake in the corner back there. It was so tiny, it was a worm. It was so small, you couldn't tell if it was a rattlesnake or a, nobody could tell. So, we, you know, what do you do? Sweep it into a garbage can and throw it outside with all the others. It doesn't say, well, Ted, in the name of Jesus, go grab that thing in the middle and see what happens. It's not what it said. Paul. Verse 6, the people waited for him to swell up or suddenly drop dead. Can I get an amen? These fine people just swam up to shore. We're being nice to them. We'll get a show out of it. There's a snake the uh, 14-year-old, the uh, pretzel kid, um, was in the ocean and met a stingray, if you know what I'm saying. He'll happily show you the damage. Could have been worse. He didn't swell up or drop dead. And we're from the desert. So we're like, oh, well, put some sand on it. Right, he was fine. He's fine. He didn't want to go back in the water, but, you know, could have been a shark. They were just sitting there like it's a show. People waited for him to swell up. Right? Nothing. <laughs> they're just waiting and when they had waited a long time he's not going I don't know maybe he's fine and saw that he wasn't harmed they changed their minds and decided he was a god little g well we got something here don't we remember when your uncle got bit and gone in a week this guy he's doing great you do all the right things with a servant's heart good attitude keep your cool and Nobody's going to be impressed. Sometimes what it takes to impress people is not dying. 
We have a banner doctor here today, so I'm limited, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. I once went to Banner, didn't go so well. A year later, I was back. Some people were impressed. And now all of that is a setup. All of, I told you all that for this sentence right here. And so we came to Rome. How's that? Paul wanted to go to Rome, felt called by the God of the universe to go to Rome. He's not married. He doesn't have kids. His life is dedicated to whatever God wants as he understands it. The Holy Spirit was very clear. Paul gets to Rome. Go to Rome. He's in Rome. But what about all of this? Do you ever have that? People say, how's your trip? And you go to tell them, they're like, no, no, no. How you doing? The answer is fine. That's, the, that's what they want. We once, uh, the first accident I ever had, I, it's not, wasn't my fault, it was Deer's fault, blew into Deer in nowhere, Texas at 85 miles an hour. Deer, what are you doing? Get out of the road. You've got a lot. Why do they have deer trouble in Texas? Doesn't everybody there have a gun? Shoot two before breakfast. Do your job. Why am I hitting a deer in Texas? A Texas friend wrote me a little after that. He said, hey, I finally got my first deer. Yeah, me too. I, got, I used a Honda. What are you talking about? It's not that... It's not that difficult. Just drive after seven and you'll get one. So then we finally get to the in-laws. And my brother-in-law, who uh, never really clicked, as I understand it. I don't know. He never talks to me. I don't know. But he actually talked to me. And he said, so you hit a deer. That's a big sentence for him. Took him about an hour to say it. So... You spent your life in, in, in Germany, in Miami, Florida. You didn't even get to Texas till you were after high school. Why do you talk like a lizard? I don't understand. I don't understand. I don't get it. So you hit a deer. His lips don't even move. So Jenny has to always interpret and tell me what he said. And then he said, everybody knows you don't drive in that part of Texas after dark. We have been related for 20 years at the time. Nobody had ever told me, you don't drive in Texas after dark. If there's something to be said, use your words. But as much as I wanted to talk about it at that family gathering, Uncle Bill was there. I'll tell you about him in a minute. Nobody really wanted to talk about the deer and the drunk guy who showed up with a tow truck in the middle of nowhere hotel that could have been a horror movie. Nobody wanted to really hear about that. And so we came to Rome. Simple sentence. Think, that, think of all the things you have overcome so far. You people even have overcome a few things. The rest of you, whoo, you've overcome some stuff. You didn't just show up today walking in all calm. A third of you walking in were like, holy cow, I'm just glad to be here. A third of you, you know, you sobered up and you staggered in. We appreciate that. I'm trying not to talk too loud. A third of you are doing really great right now, but you're a little nervous about the week to come. Can I get an amen? Things are, things are going really well, and you've got enough life experience to realize, well, Rick Warren, famous minister in, in uh, Los Angeles, says, life isn't ups and downs. Life is a railroad track. There's always good, 
and there's always challenges at the same time. We need to remember that perspective. It's not just the challenges. We can just get overwhelmed with the challenges. We'll talk about that in a minute, too. But I brought props today for this reason. Think of someone you admire and what they've had to deal with to be here. Now, and there's a phrase we use in our house, this is what I've been dealing with, because the hot chick knew a guy in, in high school in Austin, Texas. My guess is he wanted to know her more, and I'm thankful that, she, that he didn't. But he contacted her, I don't know, years ago as the token Christian that he knows. And they were, she's like, oh, well, whatever your name is, I forget. How you doing? He said, well, this is what I've been dealing with since I was shot by the SWAT team. This is what I've been dealing with. And there was a picture of a scar all the way up him. And so, Googled, that'll make the news. He didn't, they weren't just being mean. There was a reason he got shot by the SWAT team. In Austin, Texas, if you've got a shotgun, you're waving it at the police, and you're drunk, and you're threatening people, that'll get you shot by the SWAT team. They, they told you to put the gun down. It wasn't a request. It wasn't a suggestion. You'd reached the point that you needed to put the gun down, because they weren't. And so he got shot by the SWAT team, and then there was a series of things, and they saved, some, some doctor saved his life, and I'm sure they regret that. But, I mean, you don't say it out loud, but, you know, all the good ones, we could use some of those organs. But this is what I've been dealing with. So I, as I was reading through this and pondering it for the last three weeks, I thought, you know, some of my favorite people in the world really had to deal with a lot. Now, I never met my great-grandfather came to America from, so he was Jewish, from Sweden. The, the family fled Spain because they weren't very nice to Jews, went to Sweden, took on a local name. That's why my name is Soderholm. Not exactly blonde. I've got the blue hair, or blue eyes, blue hair. I'm getting the blue hair, but <laughs> come back next week. Might be, might be. It's coming on fast. But I got the blue eyes, but all of my family looked pretty Jewish for a reason. So uh, then he wanted to be a tailor. He moved to Germany, met, the, met uh, his hot chick, and wasn't good to be Jew in Germany, even in 1870. So they moved to Brooklyn. Didn't speak English, but they moved to Brooklyn and, and, and formed their community and had kids and moved forward. And my grandfather and siblings all born in New York City. That's a tremendous amount to overcome. It, is that a... And so we came to Rome. All of those stories... I love to hear my dad talk about his grandfather. He was gone by the time I came along, but I love to hear those stories. And I have my grandfather's gold pocket watch. So he was a tailor in Brooklyn just over the bridge. And in 1910, Haley's Comet came by, and it became a craze. You know how nuts we can be. And so people with money thought, well, if the world's going to come to an end, look it up. That was a thing. I think one of the king of England was, uh, some people blame Cayley's Comet for his death, but I think it was more of his drinking. But, you know, what do I know? But uh, people went nuts, and so they wanted new suits. And my great-grandfather made a lot of money off Haley's Comet, and to celebrate, he bought a really nice gold watch that still works. It is 11, 14, and 10 seconds, and I'm aware of the time. I want to assure you I don't care, but I'm aware of the time. And I love to hear the stories of my grandfather, great-grandfather when I was a kid because I have such an easy life. Sure, I grew up in New York in the 70s. I got some crazy stories, but I always got to come home to a haven. My family is so great 
they like my wife more than me. Not even close. My dad on his deathbed, Washington, D.C., I walk in, Dad, I'm here from Tucson, it's great to see you. Last breath, he goes, where's Jenny? Shut up, old man. You got me, all right? She's busy. She couldn't be bothered to come see you. You want to see her, you get better and go see her. You jerk. No, no, didn't say that at all. We had a great uh, last week. My dad would tell those stories because it reminded us how much the family had overcome to put us in this great position. My life is easy right now. Sweet. The car has air conditioning. It works. I don't have to be on a boat. I live in the desert. I can't be on a boat, but that works out. That's, I'm fine with that. This is Uncle Bill's wedding ring. Uncle Bill is the in-law, my favorite in-law by far, my wife's mom's brother. Uncle Bill's in the Texas Racing Hall of Fame. And since we all know TV, let's go to there. When you watch Chip and Joanna Gaines show that Magnolia Farms thing in Waco, Texas, that's where my mother-in-law is from, just down the street. So we went this last Christmas. We went to Magnolia Farms. I had to watch a show to see what the heck they were talking about. The bakery episode, oh, that was great. Stood in line for stuff over and over and over again. Delicious. Great. 100 bucks at the bakery. They got to pay for that thing. There's a building on the... So we got our personal tour from the Wacokians. Waco... Waco... I don't know. The family. And they said that was Uncle Bill's shop. As we're sitting at the bakery... Look right through there over the grass past the frozen whatever yogurt thing. That was Uncle Bill's shop. Where during the day, he fixed people's cars in Waco, Texas. And at night, he built his race cars. And Uncle Bill was one of those people. He died a few years ago. He was in his 80s. The way he smoked and drank, stunning that he made his 80s. And he drove race cars. It's like talking to Doc Hudson from Lightning McQueen. And so my whole goal when we go to Texas was to avoid my mother-in-law and brother-in-law and to get Uncle Bill to come down from Waco and tell stories. You get Uncle Bill telling stories, oh, man, so great. And his son and wife are the best. Their, their kids and grandkids are the best. Just great people. Love Uncle Bill. So much so that Aunt Pat, when Uncle Bill died, gave me his wedding ring. She said, I was looking at this stuff, and I thought, well, I, I get rid of some of this stuff. I can't keep everything. And she said, I was thinking, looking at the ring, well, who loved Uncle Bill as much as me? She said, Ted. That's pretty good. Gave it to me at a Texas barbecue restaurant. That's even better. I think if you smell the ring, it might still be on there. Here's my favorite Uncle Bill story. So Texas in the 1950s, Uncle Bill, based on Bill's stories, I think it was completely his fault, he had been married to Uncle Pat, Aunt Pat, Texas was crazy in the 50s. <laughs> he was married to Aunt Pat. His second wife was also Aunt Pat. I think that was on purpose, so he didn't have to put much effort into it, right? You say second wife, use the wrong name, that'd be awkward. So the Pat I knew was wife number two. The one I didn't know, they'd been married. They were married 16 years. They had a couple of kids, including Dale, who I love. And then they got a divorce. I'm, I'm assuming that was 100% Bill's fault. I'm not assuming. I would, I would bet cash. <laughs> that is Bill's fault. If you're working all day and then you're working on your race cars at night and then you spend the weekend racing and you're drinking and smoking like he does, yeah, that was Bill's fault. And if you're famous enough to be in the Texas Racing Hall of Fame, 100% Bill's fault. So they get a divorce. But they can't bring themselves to tell Bill's mom that they got a divorce. So every time there's a family gathering... His ex-wife would meet him in the driveway. They would walk in together like they were married. 
I said, Bill, what's wrong with you? Just tell her. And he went, you never met my mother. All right. I, so then finally, finally, goodness gracious, whew, finally mom dies. And then he marries Pat. I said, Bill, you've been living with Pat at this time in 19-whatever Texas. Living where there is fine, ditching her at home and going to meet your ex-wife in the driveway. All that was fine? And he said, eh, it worked out. I, if you don't know an old person besides me, meet one and just ask for their stories. And you're going to notice the point where they say, and then we came to Rome. And what that's going to do for you is remind you that whatever nonsense you've got going on right now where you're like, whew, you can do this. God's not punishing you uniquely. Chris, raise your hand. Chris and Megan move in from California. So thankful to be here. Buy a house, going to remodel it. And the snake trying to break into their house. You know how weird that is? Everybody said, oh, you got a pack rat in the wall. Chris is like, well, we sealed everything up. I don't think so. Yep, sure enough, pack rat in the wall. So Chris and Megan and the kids have a, a snake trying to break into their house. You think it's weird at your house? How about a snake ringing your doorbell? Ding dong, just bring out this, the rat and we, I'll let you go. Finally, it got caught in a trap, and uh, at one point, the UPS driver was stuck, and the UPS driver just put an Amazon package on the snake. I don't know. You're in the desert now. Enjoy your life. Embrace it. You're not being punished. This is life. It's a track. There's the challenges. There's the good news. Don't lose your purpose. You're here to make a difference, to help people. You need some people in your life. So here's the last one. My mom, I'm wearing this pin, my mom's work ID, Sanborn Map Company. My mom's from Mount Vernon, New York, so there was the general area. She could look into Brooklyn. So all the World War II soldiers leave, and the Sanborn Map Company still have to make maps. So they hire a bunch of recent graduates, New York high school girls get brought in to a very professional job. You nailed the interview, you got it. And my mom would describe it. They were up, way up in the air. They, uh, they had their slanted official big map desks. And my mom had a great time. Her movie theater was Radio City Music Hall. She was fine. The one I feel for, uh, uh, what's the big guy? Warren Buffett bought this company. He was one of the first companies ever overtook because they were failing, maybe because of my mom. The story isn't about my mom. She was in New York City as a single high school graduate with her friends. She was doing great. Do you know the one I feel bad for? Her map boss. The boss that was too old to get drafted into World War II used to have a whole team of professional men who knew what they were doing and now is dealing with a bunch of teenage girls. I feel for that guy. And it's not a cheap shot at teenage girls. I'd, I wouldn't want a bunch of teenage boys. It's not a cheap shot at teenagers. This is a professional job. You're making maps. Some of us are old enough to remember what that is. You can't just have squiggly lines. You've got to have the right line in the right place, the right color. What's this guy supposed to do? He's got to produce maps. My mom had all kinds of funny stories about this poor guy. I think he had hair at the beginning. Not by the end. If you're in a season of life right now, that's a challenge. I say if. Let's just accept you're in a challenging season of life. I'm going to go on a limb and say you're probably not abandoned by God. 
Well, skip the next part. Paul gets to Rome. He gets, his, he gets to have a little freedom, but he's got the soldier with him everywhere he goes, sort of a house arrest thing. He calls together the few Christians that are in Rome. He's going to get these people on the same page. Some show up. Some are like, yes, this sounds right to me. And they join with Paul, and the church in Rome starts that 300 years later, the Roman Caesar becomes a, a Christian. The Pope now lives rent-free in the middle of, of Rome. That's the biggest joke in history. That's funny. We all miss it. They were worried about being killed by the Roman Caesar, and now the Pope lives there and doesn't even pay taxes. Well, God wins. Not in our timeline, but eventually. But there were some people that came and heard Paul and like, nope, don't get it. And Paul, Paul curses him. He said, you're what the prophet Isaiah was talking about when there's going to be a bunch of losers. You, you're it. And Paul says, their eyes cannot see, their ears cannot hear, their hearts cannot understand, and they cannot turn to me, the Lord, and let me heal them. I would help you, but you don't let me. Paul said, he's talking about you, the God of the universe. I got bitten by a poisonous snake. I went from a murderer to a God little G in about 28 minutes. It's an adventure out here. You need some good people. You need God. You need some people with you. Remind yourself what it is you're doing, solving problems for God's other children. That's what we're here for, to be helpful. George Marshall said you got to listen to their story. <laughs> well, no, maybe you do. Maybe you do. You need to figure out why you're here, and you need to figure out who's going to help you because we can't do this alone. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we uh, walk through Paul's and so we came to Rome, would you remind us that life is a challenge best seen as an adventure. You place in our hearts dreams and hopes and wishes. Would you give us the courage to embrace the fact that it's an adventure to get to where we want to go, to where we feel you are calling us to go? We don't want to spend our life on a couch. We want to spend it in relationship with those around us and in relationship with you. If there's anybody here today who doesn't know you, that ABC approach to the relationship with you the one who gave us our unique gifts and our opportunities. One is to admit that we are not all that you created us to be. B is to believe that Jesus is the one who makes us worthy of the throne room of God. We can say, Abba, Father, Dad, Heavenly Parent, anytime we want. We don't have to use sophisticated prayer language. We just have to start talking. And see us to choose to follow. Choose to follow you. Choose to believe you are with us. Choose that you have our choose to believe you have our best interests at heart each and every day. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. And everybody said, Amen.